This is in the studio, and I'm laughing already because Jeff Taylor's in the studio with us, cutting up with Michael Card. You two, <laughs> when you get together, <laughs> I'm his evil twin. <laughs> I'm his evil twin. Okay. <laughs> All right, we're going to introduce Jeff properly in a moment, Michael. Okay. But let's uh, let's tell everyone that in the second half of the program today, we're going to hear your teaching from a Hesed conference. Yeah, we're still talking about Hesed up uh-huh. in Stowe. Stowe, Ohio. Ohio, yep. with Pastor Dan. Yep, and uh, today the text is Micah 6.8 and Hosea 6.6. 6. Mm-hmm. So that's coming up in the second half of the program today. And just before we bring Jeff into the conversation here today, here's a note from a listener. Thank you for the In the Studio podcast. Dan says, I discovered it earlier this year and have been listening to it ever since. I've been blessed by Michael's music since I came across it in India 15, 15 or 20 years ago. Wow. So... How does that happen? I don't know. Dan says, does Michael play, sing the songs live in the studio, or are they played back from past recordings for albums? You no, wanna, no. You want to answer that? Well, uh, I might get a little grumpy just talking about it, but <laughs> Joe Carlson, our producer, insists, and I underline the word insists, that they be done live in the studio. Okay. All right. So, but I'm not bitter at all about it. Of course, it'd be way easier just put CD in, but we won't go into Dan that. Dan wants to know how much musical practice goes into the recording. <laughs> I think that's painfully obvious. <laughs> okay. Right. Well, we're going to have fun today. Uh, in the first half of the program, our good friend Jeff Taylor sits here at the keyboard, and we're going to have some some good old hymn singing here yes. today. Just let just yeah. let let him loose. Jeff, let do you play. remember the first time you came to the studio? I do, I do. Buddy Green brought me here, and I was so excited to be. Of course, we were at Mole End at that time. We were at Mole End, and I had never met Mike, and I was really excited to meet him. I loved his music, loved his theology. Was that the first time we met? That's the first time we met. Wow. That was on this show. Uh-huh. So this is quite the wow. reunion. I didn't re- I didn't realize that. And uh and and then Buddy uh Buddy had had me come play on a hymn hymns project of his. That's how I met Buddy was he invited mm-hmm. me to come play on a hymns project of him. So it's nice that we're talking about hymns today. Yeah, let's yes. talk about hymns. Uh both of you of course have invested your lives in ministry and music and hymns are an integral part of that, aren't they, Mike? Mm-hmm. Uh, absolutely. Um, I've just rediscovered um, Malpe Babcock's This Is My Father's World and and him. And actually, Wayne and I talked someone else into writing a book about him. Yeah. So there's a new book about Malpe Babcock that's coming out. Wow. And he wrote a whole bunch of other hymns. In fact, I was going to talk to you about maybe getting together. I've got maybe a dozen hymns yeah. by Malpe Babcock. I want to show them to you. Maybe. All right. Wouldn't that be fun? Yeah. That'd be great. Jeff, yeah. where did this music thing begin for you? Oh golly! In the womb, probably. Yeah. No. When I it when I was very young, probably three years old, we had a piano in the house, and I could walk up to it and reach up and and play melodies I heard on the radio, and that was obviously no fault of my own. It was a it was a gift from God, yeah. and uh, I was in a home that recognized that, and I was in a fertile environment, parents that loved music. So important. My my dad uh, actually. Uh, I hadn't planned on telling this story, but I'll make it brief. Uh, he was building our house the year before I was born in 1956. He was building the house uh, with and, one other guy. And, and was, you built your house. I did. Yes, okay. And he, he was working uh, a full-time job, two part-time jobs, building our house, mm-hmm. and he was working himself to death. And he was taking these things. I don't know what they were, but he called them nerve pills. Mm. Uh, and he went to this doctor, Dr. Mansueto, uh, who is a Biagio Mansueto. What a great name. Yeah. He was an Italian guy, and he uh, played the violin in the local symphony. He was the concertmaster. Mm. And uh, he uh, told my dad, he said, uh, he said, well, Al, uh, do you paint or anything like that? And dad looked at him like, what are you asking that for? I'm, I'm having a nervous breakdown here. And uh, Doc said, uh, he said, no, I don't. Uh, maybe number painting, but, you know, I'm not artistically inclined that way. He said, well, do you play music? He said, well, I used to play trumpet. Uh, and I was really good when I was a kid. I took f- from some guy at the Boston Conservatory of Music when I was little. and But then life happened, you know, World War II. And, and I wound up in the South Pacific. And I got out and I met Val. And, and we got married and started having kids and here we are i'm building a house Mm -hmm. and uh the doctor held the pills up and he said al you can take these until your liver gives out and it will 
where he said, you can go buy a trumpet on the way home. <laughs> oh, wow. That's my prescription. Music and therapy, way what a, yeah. 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 What a yeah. wise yeah. doctor. Yeah. And that is how music entered our home. And my dad claims that wow. the day he brought, bought that trumpet, he threw his pills away and never took another Excellent. one. And by the time I was old enough to play any music, three, four, five years old, dad was already in three bands and he had his own, <laughs> you know, he had his own wow. wedding band wow. that I joined when so I was So you have 10. a heritage. I do. Yeah. Well, we're going to talk about hymns. Do you have one in mind you want to start us off with, Jeff? Well, I'll play a little bit of sure. uh, Beat Jeff's at the keyboard here in the studio. Nice meter. That's pretty cool. Thank you. What it's a little, little Celtic influence. Reminds me of that yeah. you, you and I did a hymns project yeah. years ago, yeah. and it was it was pretty Celtic. We kept trying to, to make it not Celtic, but it kept becoming Celtic <laughs> yeah. just all by back, itself. Huh? Just had to go <laughs> there. Yeah. That's beautiful. You were a church organist at what age? When I was about 12, we had a one of those computerized Allen organs in, in the uh, Catholic Church. I was raised Catholic. Uh-huh. And, uh, you know, some of those old hymns crossed over, uh, Holy, Holy, Holy. I know that's a favorite of yours. It is, yeah. And uh, uh, we gather together. Okay, and just, just here's what you can do. Okay, Jeff, Holy, Holy, Holy. Yeah, that's what's so fun about being with someone like Jeff. You yeah. can say the song, and it, it's just there. Well, as a matter of fact, Jeff, before we opened the mics, you were telling me about being in a small church one time where people would just call out the hymn numbers. Oh, yeah. And when, you would play, right? Our first really good—I uh, when I was— uh, Vicky and I and our family were living in New York uh, back in the uh, late 70s, early 80s. We were there for about four or five years. And it was the first—she was raised Catholic, and I was raised Catholic, but we found this little church in a cornfield, and it was non-denominational Christian. The guy was—he reminded me of you, Michael, as a as a Bible teacher. Mm-hmm. I mean, he would rather teach the Bible than eat. Uh-huh. Uh, he had such a passion. He knew Greek. He knew Hebrew. Wow. And there he is in this little tiny church in a cornfield just teaching like, you know— some uh, major league pastor, yeah. and we happen to have the privilege of being with that guy, and he had a love of hymns that was uh, undying. And so every Sunday night uh, when I was there, we would uh, start the service with 45 minutes of hymn singing, wow. and this is how it went. You know, Somebody out there, some little old lady in the back would say, 141, okay. and it'd be blessed assurance. And so I'd go to 141, and, and uh, somebody would say, 257. My grandmother used to sing this one to me, you know? And it was just, it was hardly a Sunday that didn't just about connection, didn't bring yeah. me to tears. And wow. that was probably where... My love of old hymns got completely okay. cemented. So 141. <laughs> yeah. Boom. I don't remember uh, that. Uh, 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 may the mind of Christ my Savior. Jeff, may the mind. No? Does he know it? Of course he does. Is yeah. that it? Yeah, yeah that's, that course. is what's so fun. <laughs> yeah. All right. Um, I'm trying to think. You're, you're going to try and stump him, aren't you? No, oh, no. no, I don't think no. I can stump him. But, um, well, I, I, I will go off track here. I am starting a, a hymns project this fall that's going to be hymns for friends. And I already uh, asked you both what your favorite hymn was. Uh-huh. And yours was Holy, Holy, Holy. Yep. And you're on the list for This Is My Father's World. Uh-huh. And Buddy Green, that's also his favorite. Uh, and, and In the rustling grass I hear him pass is the greatest line other yes. than, other than, Hearts unfold like flowers before, before him. They, that was yeah. the greatest line that was yeah. ever written. All right, exactly. now Jeff is picking up his accordion. Well, and and I think I may do the whole project on accordion. Wow. Uh, and so I thought, I'd, since I'm at Mike Card's uh-huh. place here. 
right. Mike wants to show you a photo here. That's him. That's Maltby Babcock. Wow. Who yeah. wrote that song? Yeah. That's Maltby Babcock. He yeah. wrote the words. Someone else wrote someone else wrote the music and the guy who wrote the music never wanted his name mentioned. Really? Yeah. And then and I so like that. For for a long time there was no no name and then someone found his his initials are S C. I think. SC. And so later on for the for the music it would be SC and I, I think since then they found his name out but yeah. Wow. Isn't that cool? It is. We yeah. did Buddy and I played a, a gig ye- yesterday uh down at Sewanee and we sang This is my father's was world. Was it the board meeting? It for was. Lipscomb? It yeah. was. Yeah. And and we heard a great story about uh that being uh, the hymn that that uh, the president Randy Lowry and mm-hmm. his wife met to ah. in college, she was the audition pianist for the uh, the acapella group. Uh-huh. I've always wanted to be a piano player for an acapella group. <laughs> <laughs> I think that would be a great gig. No, I think I need that gig. Yeah, you, you need to be actually playing. <laughs> and and uh, that was the hymn. He had to pick a hymn and wow. sing a part while she played the other three parts. Uh-huh. And Randy picked uh, This Is My Father's World, mm. and, wow. which only had three bass notes. Okay, joyful, <laughs> joyful, we adore thee. Uh, Yeah. How many friends uh, uh, do you uh, have that can do that? Only this guy. <laughs> only Jeff. Uh, it's amazing. I, I just yeah. love it when Jeff comes to the studio. Um, this studio, you have you both have recorded in this studio. Oh, yeah. You were here with uh, Keith and Christian Getty? I was. I was. And I actually, uh, I have a really great memory in that happened in this room. Uh Charlie Peacock was producing a hymns record on the uh, Gettys, new hymns that they had written. And uh, Keith had involved me in, in writing uh, and arranging one of the hymns. And we, uh, he said, we're writing a hymn to the consecration of work. And uh, it was called Before You, I Kneel. And, of course, Kristen wrote these fantastic words in Stuart Town. And, uh, and it started with Before You, I Kneel. Uh, uh, my master and maker to offer the work of my hands. Mm. And it went on from there. And we had recorded the whole thing, and I thought it was done. And I get a call from Keith, who who, who talks quite excitedly and fast and mumbles, and sometimes <laughs> I don't know what I'm agreeing to. I get off the phone and tell Vicky, I don't know, I might be going to Bogota or something. <laughs> I just, after a while, asking him to repeat himself, I just say, yeah, yeah, oh, wow, yeah. <laughs> so he, he uh, this is one of the times I actually understood him. He said, uh, I want to insert something into that hymn that we wrote uh and and it has to be classical and uh i said really he said yeah i just feel like i i want to i want to put a section in there in the middle and it has to be classical and i said immediately i said well then it has to be bach and he said Mm -hmm. well why does it have to be bach and you're nodding your head you know why of course because what did bach sign at the bottom of every single thing that he wrote yeah S S D G solo dea gloria to the glory of God and I said what do you want your plumber to sign what do you want your accountant to sign yeah. you know what do you want the teacher that's teaching your kids to sign to the glory of God I thought that so he got all excited and then I realized I had to go find something that worked and the melody to to our hymn was uh, That was the beginning of the mm-hmm. melody. I recognize that. And yeah. so that, and I, I, I went through a bunch of Bach, and I found Sleepers uh, Awake. Wake, uh, oh yeah. So, Perfect. we inserted that in the middle of the hymn, and it was Andy Leftwich and me, who's you know brilliant violin uh-huh. and mandolin player, and I played the pump organ and low whistle and I don't know some other stuff. What don't and, you play, Jeff? And it, well, <laughs> several of the things that I hold. Yeah, you you mentioned the pump organ. You brought it with you today. I did. It's about the size of what a large. 
air oh. conditioner, right? Uh, well, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's kind of when you close it up, it looks like a big version of your grandmother's sewing machine. There you go. You know, okay. it's just a big wooden box, and it's military <laughs> surplus. Right, that that one isn't, but oh. the one I had first was okay, they I they made it. the exact same one they made, and they would they would put uh, blue on some of them and green on some for the army or the navy, and I found out when I was at the cove once, uh, some military assistant chaplain came up and he said we all had to play <laughs> as to, as assistant chaplains we all had to play the pump organ and they issued us one. So somewhere there's probably hundreds of them in a warehouse. Wow. But Well, you went to all the trouble to bring it today. You want to slide over and uh, take your, take your time yeah. with this. I want to hear this. Yeah, I'd love to. Uh, I, I got to tell the story of how I found out about okay. these uh, real quick. Sure. Uh, I was invited to a jam session in the middle of the woods uh, in, in, uh, at a state park near me. And it was at the ranger's house. And there was a bunch of, I would call them old hippies, okay? They're about our age. He's, he's looking our, at me now. Our, gen, <laughs> our generation, and well, but these they were holdouts. Okay, they still had the long hair, and they had the. Isn't that weird to see old hippies, <laughs> old guys with ponytails? That's just yeah. weird. Yeah. Okay. Anyways, they they were there in full force. That's card C A R D. Full bloom. <laughs> and. Uh, after a couple of hours of jamming on various instruments with with some of the guys there, I noticed this box sitting there, and I said, "What is this?" And the guy, another guy, said, "Open it up." And so I opened it up, two latches, and the thing pops up, and Ooh, and okay. I started playing a hymn, and I started playing uh, uh, "Shall We Gather at the River," and. Uh, it was a hippie magnet. Uh, <laughs> they they all came in and started singing. And all of a sudden, somebody goes, leaning on the everlasting arms. Oh, yeah. And so I played that, and I discovered that they knew the first verse of every hymn. And Blessed assurance. Because their parents had all dragged them to church when they were little kids, right? Yeah. 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 Great is thy faithfulness. Yeah. So anyways. Well, we got to hear what that sounds like on this uh, little pump organ right here in the studio, Jeff Taylor. I think the first one I played was... uh, Wow. Leaning on the Everlasting Arms. I feel like I'm sitting in between Andy and Aunt B. Yeah, it isn't it it's amazing. A it's time a time machine. It it is a time machine. Yeah. And I went home that night. It it, it was about one thirty in the morning and I got on eBay and went on a tear. I thought, I have got to own one. And I yeah. told my wife the next day, I said, Honey, I played this thing yesterday at this party with a bunch of crazy hippies and a hymn sing combusted out of it. And I have to own one. And uh, as God would have it, I found this guy up in Ohio who uh, restored them. Uh-huh. And I found one and Ben Shaw fell in love with it. You know, Ben. Yeah. And I think Ben's one of the most gifted producers in this town yeah. by far. And, <laughs> and, uh, he he loved it, and I said, "Well, if I find another one, I'll you give you that, that one." So you have this one. That's what now. happened. All right, he all right. has that one. Okay. Talking with Jeff Taylor here in the studio with Michael Card. Uh, Jeff, a friend of yours, uh, we all know him, is Cliff Barrows, the man who's with the Lord now. Mm-hmm. Wow. Cliff was very special to you, and and you to him. Yeah, he he's probably in that list of mentors that uh that mike and buddy are in the category of only he's like the wise old man of my wise he, old man he was man. 103 years old when he died <laughs> no, no that, that was bev shea that was bev oh i'm shea. sorry yeah cliff barrows i'm yeah. sorry barrows was only like 94 okay yeah you're 94 <laughs> he was only 94 okay uh, sorry 
a, a few things about Cliff that that jump out to me because I knew him probably the last twelve years of his life. Huh. Uh, he uh, uh, when I asked him, he didn't see at all the last several years. He could just see shapes, and mm. he also couldn't hear very well. And he would say, mm. he would say, "This ear's just for show. <laughs> <laughs> it helps hold my glasses up." Oh, that's good. <laughs> Which didn't help him see. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, but he could get up and lead singing like unbelievable and then he'd say oh that third verse prone to wander lord i feel it lord you know prone to leave the one i love and he knew all the words i said i caught him one day at lunch i said cliffy how how do you know all these hymns he said oh when i was 14 years old my mother challenged me to memorize a hymnal wow really yeah that's what i said (laughs) And he said, uh, I said, what what hymnal? He said, Tabernacle Hymns 2. (laughs) So I went immediately online and I downloaded that puppy. And it's from the 20s or maybe early 30s. uh, And there are 351 hymns in it. And all the favorites that we know, you know, from that late 1800s, early 1900s. And he knew them all. And not only that, he knew so much scripture, mm. and and because of Cliff, I have uh, I have been memorizing more scripture the last probably well since before he died. Mm-hmm. Uh, and every day, every day I spend every night I spend you know I have this app and I'm scripture typer mm-hmm. I think it's called, <laughs> and I got about I don't know four or five hundred that I'm that I'm reviewing all the time and I can hear Cliff's voice review 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 <laughs> and you know the part of your brain that that goes into that's the last part that Alzheimer's or dementia takes wow mm. yeah so I'm still so gonna you, have you're good in a you couple of years we, when I lose my mind we won't know who we are but if you say <laughs> 241 you'll <laughs> that's awesome but besides that memory uh, Cliff bequeathed something else very important he to did you. he I, I got a message on my uh, my answering mach- uh, my cell phone and I'm so glad that day that I didn't pick the phone up because I still have it wow. it says Jeff I hope you're having joy in the journey, oh. <laughs> which is a Mike Card song. <laughs> and uh, he he uh, loved saying that. And he said, I've got something special to talk to you about. And uh, I so call me. So I called him back. And he was gifted this concertina uh, in 1955. And it's inscribed two cliff barrows with the love of the All Scotland Crusade Choir, Gosh. Calvin Hall, Glasgow. March 21st, April 30th, 1955. Wow. We had a wonderful time. And he always used to say that. And I play the Anglo concertina, which I played some with you uh-huh. over the years. This is an English concertina, and it's a Wheatstone, which for guitar players out there, this would be the Martin of concertinas. Okay. okay? And it's got a real sweet sound, but it's completely laid out different than an Anglo. And the buttons are the same on the in and the out. Oh, that's weird. So on on mine, they're different. Right. So it, it plays a different yeah. note whether it's sucking so, or blowing. About a right. month and a half after he died, I I played a little bit at his his funeral on it and told that story oh. about him leaving this to me. But uh, but I'll play a tiny bit. Uh, That that's played on that instrument that meant so much to Cliff too. Oh, oh yeah. yeah! What a nice memory. Huh? Yeah, it was amazing. Yeah. Amazing. Jeff, we have uh, just over a minute, maybe a minute and a half. Michael, don't you think it'd be a good idea to ask Jeff just to play us a hymn in closing here? Play us your favorite hymn. Oh, that's easy.
Well, good brother, hearing that makes me thankful for whatever moment he softly and tenderly called you. And he did. Yeah. I'm grateful for that, too, and I'm grateful for you, Mike and Wayne. Thank you. Uh, Thanks to both of you. Well, there's much more waiting for you in the second half of our program. We're so glad when listeners share their comments with us through social media. Your comments, no matter how you send them, are a great encouragement to Michael and the whole team. Could you help us by posting a review of this podcast? Share a post on Facebook or use the contact section on our website, michaelcard.com. And if you want to share what you found on this podcast with a friend, we've made accessing this program as easy as possible. The program audio is updated each week on our website, and we keep several sessions available with all the program details for you to follow up. And you can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Google Play, and now Spotify. Just search for Michael Card. You can extend the impact of the teaching you heard from Michael. Check out his weekly blog, his music, books, and conferences that address other topics based in the Bible. All this is waiting for you at michaelcard.com. Coming up, we'll go on the road with Michael as we begin a series that features his teaching on Hesed. We'll be back with that and more here in the studio with Michael Card. Next week, join us for a classic in the studio with Michael Card. We'll feature a conversation with author Brennan Manning about how we can all develop an intimate relationship with Jesus based on his book, The Rabbi's Heartbeat. And saxophonist Kirk Whalem joins us to talk about his journey of faith as he developed his career. An unforgettable session of music and conversation waiting for you. Watch for the post and share the podcast link. All the details are at michaelcard.com. Michael, we're going to switch gears now, move into our commentary section. Mm-hmm. This is uh, something recorded on location from the Hesed Conference. Right. Uh, this is Stowe, Ohio, with Pastor Dan Page up mm-hmm. at his church. Joe went, our producer, to record you. Joe was there, yeah, and so we got a really good recording of it, and and we're just moving into the idea of, of uh, the Hebrew word Hesed. And uh, we'll get to that teaching in just a moment, but yeah. first, I want you to sing a song for us. This is called The Book. Your daughter, Katie, plays the boron here, yes. which is an Irish drum. And she was Katie Card, then she is now Katie Wharton <laughs> yeah, with a little baby. This was recorded in the studio as yes. a live performance a number of years ago. Yes. And uh, Shanoa Alamo is playing the violin. Yes, lovely friend, great, great, great musician. The book. of prophets in their fiery words and rhymes in the pages of the patriarchs we can read on every line of the kindness of commandments and of all he undertook that before we called he answered us in the pages of the book and page He's lying preserved in blood and tears to speak to each new age Come read the very thoughts of God Hear what wisdom has to say For in three thousand years and more it hasn't aged a day And the pages of the book are turned with trembling awe As we witness wonders there that only Of the meaning of the book So open up your heart and soul To the call and the command Hold a vast and priceless treasure In the palm of just one hand And no true transformation As you take it up and look the flesh and bone and blood of truth in the pages of the book and the pages of the book are turned with trembling awe as we witness wonders there that only faithful saw we go as deep as we can go look as hard as we can look but we only scratch the surface of the meaning
the meaning of the book Love Loving kindness, merciful love Loyal love, sure love, relentless love, enduring love, extravagant love, affectionate satisfaction, love in action, dependable love, steady love, true, fundamental love, miracle love, generous love, deep love, wonderful love, great love, incredible love, marvelous love, gracious love, loyal in love, steadfast love, expression of love, election love, unfailing love, faithful love, tons of love. That's Eugene Peterson. Loving instruction, loving deeds, covenant love, covenant of love, covenant faithfulness, covenant friendship, covenant commitment, gracious covenant, loyal, loyalty, covenant loyalty, loyal faithfulness, great loyalty, unswerving loyalty, uh, mercy, kindness, kindly, divine kindness, loyal kindness, godly kindness, merciful kindness, great kindness, everlasting kindness, mercy. Mercy work, mercy feeling, miracle mercy, generous mercy, benevolence, compassion, persistent faithfulness, faithful act, reliable solidarity, goodwill, keenness, ardent zeal, grace, gracious, extravagantly generous largesse, glory, honor, honoring, pity, clemency, bedrock, rock, God-fearing, piety, charity, strength, devout, active goodness, favor, immense favor, loyal friendship, Good-heartedness, immense favor, working graciously, generous, yes, endlessly patient, generous act of goodness, devotion, devoted work, committed goodness, good deeds, gracious dealings, beauty, disgrace, reproach, shameful thing, wicked thing, stick with me, sticking by, sticking with, the steady, persistent refusal of God to wash his hands of Israel. That's how many times chesed, our word is translated in six different English translations of the Bible. That's 169 different ways in six different English translations. This is our word. This is a chet. You say it with a ch. This is a samak, and that's a dalit. And he, these are the, the vowels. These are two segels. It's the eh sound. Chesed. Not chesed. Hesed, Hesed's on the, the emphasis is on the first syllable. Okay, those of you who've been to Israel, you know that the, the rabbis, uh, they, they, they love to trick us. They'll say, what's the first commandment? And as a good Gentile, you say, have no other gods before me, right? That's the first commandment. And they'll go, wrong. The first commandment is to listen. Shema Israel, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with, and with everything you are. So the first commandment is to listen, hear. And Jesus is always saying, let he who has ears to hear, hear. Well, I, think that, I think he's using this word Shema. An Orthodox Jewish person prays this three times a day. The Shema is a, is a standard prayer in, in Judaism, Deuteronomy 6.4. So um, this is our key to engaging with Scripture. Um, so if you look at the Shema, it's in basically two parts. The first part is, is to listen, and the second part is to love. Okay. And my, my mentor, my hero, William Lane, taught us that the Shema basically teaches us that the best way to love God is to listen to Him. That's the upshot, really, of the Shema. Hear, listen to Israel. The Lord is one, and you must love Him with everything that you are. So the question is, if the best way to love Him is to listen to Him, how can we listen to Him with everything that we are? Because we are fragmented people, right? We are fallen, fragmented people. Um, some of us uh, engage with our heads, and we're very theological, and we like to argue, like to be right. And we put this burden on other people that you really go to heaven on the basis of being right. Right? No, don't say right. Don't agree with me. <laughs> I got you. And then there are some of us that are heart people. My best friend Scott Rowley is a heart person, which means if he reads the Bible or preaches, he's going to cry because he's a hard guy. And we tend to be one, one or the other. Very few people are integrated. 
And I think what you see in Scripture is the Scripture engages that bridge that integrates us or reintegrates us, and that is your imagination. The Bible is a book that, that engages your imagination. It is not theology. We make theology out of it, not necessarily a bad thing, but in, and especially in the Jewish world, in the, in the Hebrew world, it's, it's all based on your imagination. It's Jesus teaching, right? What, how does Jesus teach? He uses stories like a rabbi does. And, you know, and there's no explanation. There's no introduction. Look at, look at how he does his, his, uh, his, uh, his parables. Uh, he just steps up and says, a man was going down a road and fell into the hands of men who, uh, of violence who beat him and left him for dead. And off he goes. And then with one exception, there's one parable he explains. He explains the seed parables in Mark. But for the most part, he doesn't explain his parables. Why? Because you've got to engage with them. You've got to listen or you're not going to get it. And he's not going to explain it to you. That's, that's, that's what the Shema, I think, is all about. You've got to engage. You've got to listen with your heart as well as your mind. Because the Bible is trying to recapture us, all of you, your heart as well as your mind, the whole person. And that to me, makes a whole lot of sense. And what happened to me as I was trying to listen uh, 10 years ago, I came upon this word. Uh, I had studied Hebrew um, in college. My, my degree is in biblical studies, not music, which is painfully obvious to those of you who are musicians probably. But um, I'd studied Hebrew, but I don't remember this word. And what happened was uh, I was working on the laments of uh, the Hebrew Bible. We like to call it the Hebrew Bible and not the Old Testament. And if you're interested, I'll tell you, I'll explain that to you later. But we like to say Hebrew Bible. Um, but as I was working through the laments, um, there'd been a death in our family. In fact, there'd been two deaths in our family. My sister lost two babies in 13 months and, um, and two, separate, two separate incidents. And I had nothing, well, let me just tell you that story real quick. My sister's Carolyn. Uh, she had a baby that was blind, open uh, spina bifida, open spines, hydrocephalic. He had every birth defect a baby could have, and he lived for two months and died. And I was the Bible teacher of the family, so, you know, I have easy answers. God was being gracious. I know this is hard, but blah, 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 blah. You know, I'm throwing Bible verses at it like a young ignoramus. And um, she became pregnant very quickly after that. And 13 months later, she gave birth to a perfect little boy. He was gorgeous. And at two and a half months, he died of a ruptured appendix, just suddenly. And I had, I had nothing. I had no Bible verses. I had nothing. No easy answers for that one. And so I go to the laments of the Old Testament, get, get interested in the laments, and lo and behold, I find people saying all kinds of things that I was feeling, you know, wrestling with God in ways that I was wrestling with God. And the laments became a really big thing for me. And it was during uh, working on the lament literature that I discovered this word. Um, what every lament, biblical lament does, except for one, Psalm 88 is the one exception, they all transition, they all begin with lament, and then at some point, sometimes it's verse 3, sometimes it's verse 50. It's, it's not predictable. But at some point, they transition and they become worship. Now, it's all praise. Even when you're lamenting, you're talking to God. It's a form of praise. But um, three of the most significant laments transitioned with this word. The book of Lamentations, of course, is the big one. Uh, Psalm 51, uh, Psalm 69. There's another one, but I can't remember, remember what, it, what it was. And so all of a sudden, I was confronted with this word. And, and I realized that, that David or Jeremiah, whoever it was that was lamenting, they sort of ran out of words, and, uh, except this word. They couldn't, they couldn't exhaust this word. Because of your hesed, it says in, Jer in uh, Lamentations, because of your hesed, we're not destroyed. Is, uh, that's the turning point of the book of Lamentations. So this, this word became very important, and I've spent the last 10 years wrestling with it. So that's what I'm going to inflict upon you for the next two days, is, is all the stuff I've found. 
I will tell you this, this has really changed my, uh, my life. It's changed my understanding of God and it's changed my approach to living and being a Christian. Uh, it's, it's, uh, it's a very important, very important idea. Um, some people say it's the most sacramental word. It certainly has the largest range of meaning of any word. So, uh, so let's, let's dive right in and talk about it. Um, if you have a verse memorized from the Hebrew Bible, it's probably got the word hesed in it. Um, Surely goodness and hesed will follow me all the days of my life. Psalm 23. What does the Lord require of you, O man, but to do justice, love hesed, Micah 6, 8. For I desire hesed and not sacrifice, Hosea 6, 6. That's one of Jesus' favorite verses. He yells it at the Pharisees a lot. We're going to look at that. I think in his mind, that's, that's the answer to Pharisaic hypocrisy. Um, that God would, you know, I desire hesed, not sacrifice. God would rather you love someone well. God would rather you be kind than to offer a sacrifice, which is kind of a big idea. How about this one? Uh, Numbers 14, 18. The Lord is slow to anger and rich in hesed. And that's a wonderful passage that we'll look at. That's where Moses is reminding God of something he said a year, a year before. Kind of a risky thing to do, but that's, that's Moses. Uh, the most important one, uh, for he, he, uh, he maintains hesed to a thousand generations. That's Exodus 34, 7. Forgive me according to your hesed. That's Psalm 51, 1. Uh, the Lord is good and his hesed endures forever. That's another one. There's, we could go you know, on and on. So whether you know it or not, this, this is already a, an idea that's, that's, if you read the Bible at all, if you read the Old Testament at all, this is an, an, an idea that's already rooted in your mind. Who do you see God as? A lot of us, you know, superimpose our Father's image on God. I did that for a long time. Um, to some people, he's just this kind of nice old guy. To some people, he's mad. No matter what you do, you can't please him. What I want to try to demonstrate to you is you cannot understand who he is until you fundamentally get the ideas behind this word. You don't have to speak Hebrew and know this word. Don't get me wrong. But God uses this word to reveal himself to Moses in Exodus 34, 6 and 7, one of the most important passages in the Hebrew Bible. And so this is, uh, is, is huge. Okay. So let's talk a little bit about words and how words have meaning. Uh, words, we think that words have literal meanings. You hear people say that all the time. What's the literal meaning of that word? Um, well, a word that's translated 169 different ways, uh, clearly that doesn't have a literal meaning. Um, we, I didn't, until I started working on this, I didn't understand how words work. But words don't have a literal meaning. Uh, I could ask you, what is the word key? K-E-Y. What does that word mean? You don't know until I tell you the context. Is it the thing you open the door with? Is it the key to the song? Is it the key idea? Some words we don't even know how to pronounce unless we know the context. How do you pronounce B-O-W? Well, you don't know until I tell you the context. Is it bow, is it bow? How do you pronounce L-E-A-D? You don't know until I tell you the context. So there's this, we've presumed that we understand how words work, but I think this word has taught me that, that words are really a mystery. The way they work, it's, it's very elegant, it's very complicated, and la just the way language works. And, and they say that a child, in the first couple of years uh, that you're learning a language, that you, you use more of your brain then than you will ever use in the rest of your life, even if you get multiple PhDs. And I think, I, I think I've come to appreciate, uh, appreciate that. It's just not as simple as we think. Um, we're going to look at Exodus 33 uh, tomorrow when we look at uh, 34. And there's a word there, the word for face, panim in Hebrew. Well, in, in one passage, that one word is translated three different ways. Because clearly it doesn't, it, it means something different. So uh, at one point it means presence. God says, my panim will go with you. We didn't mean my face will go with you. He means my presence will go. So it's translated presence. Then later on, same passage, he says to Moses, uh, you can't see my face, my panim. 
And then he, he talks about a few verses later about everyone on the surface of the earth. And it's panim again. We, we know face of the earth. But that one word translated three different ways. How about this one in, in Job uh, 1, 1, 9. Job's wife, what is, remember what Job's wife did, says to him? Curse God and die. You know what that word for curse is? Barek, bless. Literally, what Job 1, 9 says, she says, she says the word bless God and die. But no one's ever going to translate it that way because that's not what the context says that word means. So it's, it's an ironic thing. You know, like in the South, sometimes we'll look at them and we'll say, oh, bless, bless her. That's not really what we mean. So words are, we're going to learn from looking at this word in the different contexts that words are just far more complicated than we, than we have assumed that they are. Okay, now here's a whole other level of complexity. And I don't want to say this is complex, complexity. This just makes it more interesting as far as I'm concerned. Uh, and that is the difference between Hebrew and Greek. And this is a new idea for me in, 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 in the way that the language you speak affects the way you think. To me, this is absolutely fascinating. Okay, okay Greek. First of all, a, a working Greek vocabulary is 10,000 words. In order for me to read 90% of the New Testament, I have to te have a 10,000 word vocabulary. A working Hebrew vocabulary is 500 words. And some books say 200. That's actually why I took Hebrew in the first place. I read that it was 200, so I go, 10,200, I'm, yeah. Um, and and it, it, we're thinking, well, then clearly Greek is a better language. Not necessarily. Because I have words in Hebrew that can be translated 169 different ways. There's a depth to Hebrew that Greek doesn't have. Greek is very precise. But one of the most interesting, and, and it bears on Hesed, one of the most interesting differences is Greek and English, English is this way too, uh, our language is a noun-based language. Okay? You think in nouns. Okay? Um, I just I had these two things growing on me. I went to the doctor. What did I want from the doctor? I wanted a noun. I tried to explain it to her. She wasn't interested. She, dermatologist, she was thinking of this thing. You know, the difference between Hebrew and Greek is really interesting. She didn't know. I wanted a noun. And when I found out the name of what it was, I felt better. I was, I was teaching Hesed in a little church in, in Nashville two days ago. And this lady came up in, at the end in tears. And I, I'd been talking about Hesed in Judaism and how one of the greatest things you can do in, uh, in Judaism is care for the dead. That's a great, that's one of the great acts of Hesed. Uh, when you do something for someone who can't thank you, that's a, in Judaism, that's a big deal. Now you can do something to be thanked. That's charity. And charity is a good thing, right? If I donate money to the church and they put my, my name on the side of the piano, on a little brass plaque, that's charity. And that's a good thing. But acts of Hesed you do not to be thanked. Okay, and, and this woman, for years, she and a number of her friends had been flying to Poland and cleaning out old Jewish cemeteries because, of course, the Jews are all gone. The Germans killed all of them. But there are these old, overgrown Jewish cemeteries, and they, cl they clean them out. And that's just this thing for, of, of love that they do. And she had these big tears in her eyes. Why? Because I gave her a name for what she was doing. And it, it was huge for her, you know. I gave her a noun because for us, chesed is a noun. I got a book there trying to, trying to, uh, to define it as a noun. In, in uh, Hebrew culture, in Judaism, they are a verb, verbal-based language. They think, Jesus thinks in verbs, okay? And in chesed, in Hebrew, is really more of a verb. It's something you do. And when a Jew, and I've asked Jewish friends this, when they go to the doctor, they want a verb. They want the doctor to tell them what to do, and then they're relieved because they think in, in verbs. I just think that's absolutely fascinating uh, that the, the language that you, that you speak um, affects the way you think. Uh, Greek is a more abstract, uh, Hebrew is much more uh, concrete. 
Uh, my note says, rabbis don't do theology, they tell stories. They, they tell stories about people doing things, people doing verbs. So that's how we gather uh, understanding. Greek is a microscope, Hebrew is a telescope. I think that's a good way of looking at it. Michael's teaching on Hesed will continue in the weeks ahead here on the podcast. Look forward to that, Michael. But what's the, what's the final word today? Well, I, I think we, we, we focus on this word, this word that God has used to reveal himself to us, this word that, that we don't really have a word for in <laughs> English, uh, in six different English translations of the Bible. This word is translated 169 different ways. And I think what I'd like for folks to take away from this time is to realize that God has fundamentally revealed to himself who he is. And the big surprise is that his essential nature is that he's kind. He's all-powerful. He's all-knowing. But uh, he's kind. Yes, thank you, Michael. Our study of Hesed will resume in future sessions. We hope you'll take a moment and pass along your comments or post a review of this podcast. On our website, you'll find the links to our guests. You can access Michael's weekly blog, learn about his conference ministry, and other ways to expand on what you've heard today. We're found at michaelcard.com. And we hope you'll join us next week as we open our session archives and present a classic broadcast recorded at the Mole End Studio. I'm Wayne Shepard. Now for our producer, Joe Carlson and Michael Card, thank you for listening to this edition of In the Studio with Michael Card.